at some point I looked at my life and my phone was ringing every day and and I was just tired of that life. And I, I kept thinking there's got to be something more. There's got to be the next level. Welcome to Belly Dance Live podcast. My name is Jana Komarnitska. I'm a full-time dancer based in Toronto, performing a variety of Middle Eastern and Central Asian dance styles, including belly dance. You can find me at janadance.com as well as on Insta or Facebook by Jana Dance or Jana Komarnitska. I'm happy you've decided to join us for this weekly dose of dance inspiration because here on this podcast we explore all nuances and insights into lifestyle of ballet dancers and we are having amazing star guests who share their stories, secrets and tips with you. This episode is brought to you by My Inner Dancer, a lifestyle and fashion brand inspired by ballet dance, created by ballet dancer for ballet dancers. Check their awesome stuff and current sales at myinnerdancer.com. Hello guys, welcome to Ballet Dance Live uh, podcast, a new episode. And today I'm happy to feature the work of our one of the members of our ballet dance community, Zaina Brown, who has just a few days ago released her book, Fire in the Belly. And this book tra- uh, talks about her many years of traveling across Middle East, North Africa and other countries and working as a solo female dancer on contracts in different venues there. So if you're the one who is dreaming about uh, contract work in the Middle East or other countries, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to read the book because it's quite... uh, eyes-opening and mind-blowing read. I was not expecting to read many stories that she described there, even although I heard about many things happening in the dance contracts, but uh, I definitely encourage you use others' people experience to be ready for things and avoid some mistakes and traps if uh, if you can't do it. And uh, such book as Zainas definitely allows and provides uh, uh, information and tips on how to to do it. In this interview we touched based on her book definitely but also her other activities and Zena is a professional ballet dancer, relentless traveler as you will discover as well as writer and filmmaker. She's the creator of World of Dancers, an online community of art lovers also, her documentary Travel and Ballet Dance in India of 2015 is the winner of Canadian Accolade Award and has screened at film festivals in the US. Zena currently resides in Thailand with her husband, son and cat and I'm happy that we found uh, some time from her busy new mom <laughs> schedule to talk about her book and her Middle Eastern adventures. And just before we dive into the very interview, a quick thanks to Belly Dance Evolution for supporting our podcast. 
I feel that Peloton's evolution directed by Jelina is one of those companies that definitely will leave a mark in the history of Peloton's because of their significant contribution to the development of this art form. Don't miss their performance of Phantasm 2019 in Sydney on March 9th. Also, don't forget that BDE is starting a new program to push dancers to their next level called Jelina's BDE Experience. The debut intensive is this March in Los Angeles. You can apply by January 27th for consideration and more information about both performance and this program you can find at their website paladinsevolution.com Hello Zaina, how are you and uh, welcome to our podcast. Uh, well, uh, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Thank you, Jana. It's nice to join your podcast. I'm very excited about uh, talking about your uh, new project, uh, but before that, uh, let's dive a little bit um, in the beginning of your ballet dance journey, because as far as I know, you're from Finland, but mm -hmm. ballet dance brought you first to US, and then you had yeah. quite an adventures all around Middle East and North Africa. <laughs> so mm -hmm. how everything started? I started dancing when I was 13 and I took my first belly dance class without really knowing what it even was and I was just hooked. I was like committed to the dance from the first class. It sounds crazy but I was just like in love with the dance and of course at the time, I mean I was living in a small town in Finland, I didn't know that I could ever be a professional dancer. I mean, there was no such thing around me. I had no examples. And this was the 90s, so we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have anything, you know, like we do now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I continued dancing and uh, eventually moved to New York City. First, my intention was to stay for six months and take classes, but I ended up staying there and living there and working as a dancer for many years. And eventually, I moved on to the Middle East from there. And uh, uh, once you moved to Middle East, you had quite an intense dance career there. Uh, for how many yeah. years uh, have you been performing in the Middle East? Uh, I guess I can say, um, I mean, I, I was working with a Lebanese agent for six years, on and off. Mm -hmm. So something around that time. I mean, I, was, I continued working um, in India after that and in different countries um, after that time as well. And during your performance uh, uh, career, have you ever counted how many countries you performed at? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, should I list them? Yeah, let's try. <laughs> let's, try. let's do it. <laughs> okay, let's try. Uh, working um, Egypt, Bahrain, UAE, Yemen, India, Mali, which was unexpected in West Africa, Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria, um, Turkey. Mm -hmm. So I think those are the countries that I had a contract with, contract in. And then I lived in the US and Finland and now in Thailand, so those countries as well. And I've done a couple of shows in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, also in West Africa, and uh, Sudan, of all places, last year. That was a fun one. Um, I could be forgetting something, but... That's probably the most of it, yeah. Wow, that's uh, quite a quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
um, among all countries and all contracts, uh, which one was the most uh, memorable and the most uh, the one that you still uh, remember? Like, oh, it was the dancer's dream to have a contract like that, or maybe performing in that country. Was anything like that in your career? <laughs> This is a really tough one because you could be in an amazing country and have a boring contract. You know what I mean? Dancing in a place that's not exciting. Or you could be in a country where you have a lot of problems, like a lot of difficulties and, and, uh, and things are not going smoothly, but you're really having a great time on the stage. So that's a tricky question. I would say that um, dancing in Egypt is always fun. I mean, anybody who's done it knows that's some of the funnest audiences I would say, even in the Arab world, are Egyptian audiences. But the money is not that great, is it? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've, I've had a great time in most of the countries. I can't say that any of them I really disliked. Um, Tunisia has definitely been a memorable country because um, it's a jungle out there in many ways, um, a little bit lawless even. But, um, yeah, everywhere has been interesting in its own way. Uh, is there any country you would like to come back and perform again there? I guess all of them. I mean, mm. all of them. Good memories from everyone. Yemen, unfortunately, is off the map at this point. That's one of the things that really stayed with me. I stayed there for three months at first. I had a three-month contract and um, I loved the country. I, it really touched my heart, this place, and the news coming from there now are just, I, I can't even, I can't even think about it. I know that you wrote the whole book about your dance adventures in uh, different countries. But we, we are going to talk about it right, right uh, in a few <laughs> minutes. But out of your mind, uh, can you tell uh, like a little brief geographic map of how performing in different countries looked like? Is it all the same in every country or no, is it different like from the performance point of view? Mm, I would have to say India was really wild. Mm. <laughs> Uh, India is just um, an interesting place in many ways. Of course, every traveler who's been there knows this, but working there is, is a whole other animal. It's completely different than working in the Middle East. Not only because in the Middle East you usually have a contract in one place at a time, or you, you could be working with a local agent and doing parties and, and different things. But in India, you would most likely be working in numerous places and weddings and, and, and restaurants and, and you go to faraway places and there's always all kinds of drama going on and behind the scenes and with the local agents and the clients and the other dancers. And uh, so, yeah, never a dull day. Mm. Uh, but I guess it's sort of like in Egypt too, it's very common. Like in Egypt, probably you have contacts that you perform at one place, but you also can work directly with uh, your manager or agent who gives you a bunch of different uh, uh, gigs. What would be the contrast and difference between India and Egypt, let's say? <laughs> uh, 
Um, I haven't worked in Egypt with a local manager. Um, I know girls who have done that and who do that. Uh, still, it's somehow more predictable as in what will happen once you get to the show. Like most likely you will get dressed and perform and everything goes somehow okay and you leave and, and that's that. But in India, it's just like you never know what's going to happen. Like a show could be interrupted because of drunk guys or the client could throw some kind of fit or... Uh, <laughs> mm. just, or, or the, uh, somebody could decide that actually they don't want a belly dancer once you show up because, uh, it's, you're too naked for them or, or something like this. Uh, oh, you're canceled completely or, or anything in between. Mm. So I think, um, it's still one of the most unpredictable places. Mm. Sounds like fun. <laughs> It is fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's Fun. Um, and you uh, decided to put all your experience in the book, which was just uh, released these days, literally beginning of 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us a little bit about your book and specifically why did you decide to put everything in the book? Right. So the book is called Fire in the Belly. And it's a memoir about working as a belly dancer, as well as traveling as a solo female um, around the Middle East and Africa. Um, I wrote a book in 2012, and it was like kind of like a smaller version of what I wrote now. But at the time, I was still working with the agent. Um, with whom I worked for six years. Mm -hmm. And so at the time I was not in the position to really tell the whole story, let's say, because of not wanting to burn bridges. But at this point in my life, I'm free to say, I'm free to talk about what happened in, in very honest and blunt terms because I have no such concerns anymore. I have moved on from that part of my life. And, um, yeah, I like to write, so. <laughs> mm. It's uh, quite fascinating, uh, quite fascinating read, to be honest. Um, even, uh, even despite I kind of knew what's going on on those, uh, contracts and, uh, and, uh, dance performances in the Middle East and different countries, even I was not ready to, to read some of those stories. Um, mm. so really interesting that you decided like to talk about that and i'm very curious uh how how did you write the book how was your process did you did you have any journals throughout your uh journeys or was the book completely based on your memories uh, because it's quite a uh vivid scenes <laughs> you described there i began writing it in i think 2015 So, yeah, it took me quite a few years um, to complete. I wasn't keeping a journal, but, um, I mean, you don't forget certain things, let's say. Yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things, uh, this was like a thread throughout the book, at least that was my, my impression, and actually even it, sort of gave impression that it started all your bands dance um adventures and seeking these contracts and journeys uh was a sort of attempt to escape 
dense depression, I would almost say, uh, although it's a strong mm-hmm. word, but there was some, like, trying to avoid some dense uh, disappointments. Um, um, can you talk a little bit about this? Why Why in the first place you decided to go suddenly, like, you went to U.S., you first wanted to take classes, then you established to actually live there, but then suddenly, suddenly you go for so many years uh, back and forth to the Middle East. What was uh, making you, what was your uh, sort of personal reason to even seek those contracts? Mm, I like how you called it dense depression. That's really an accurate term. Um, in New York, I was working mostly in Manhattan, as well as Brooklyn and Queens. But anybody who's familiar with the New York City dance scene knows that most of the work is in small places, really crowded hookah lounges and um, where you don't really have a space to dance in to begin with. And it's not exactly a dream come true for a performer. I mean, all of us want to be on a stage and under um, beautiful stage lights and uh, maybe with live music and, you know, to feel like an artist. And I got to the point where I was a very busy dancer, but I was burnt out. I was running from one little hookah lounge in the East Village to another and uh, at some point I looked at my life and my phone was ringing every day and uh, this was before we started messaging everything so people would still call you mm-hmm. um, and I was just tired of that life and I, I kept thinking there's got to be something more there's got to be the next level and I didn't know where that was I didn't know that I should go and work in the Middle East I didn't know how to go about that But what happened was I decided to go to Egypt just as a tourist. I intended on staying two months and just absorb. It was my first time in Egypt, so I wanted to see all the dancers and and just enjoy the atmosphere and learn some Arabic and all that and come back all refreshed back to New York City. But I stayed for five months. um, And during that time, I looked for other places to be dancing in and I got in touch with this agent and he gave me my first contract and off I went. It was just, uh, I continued to work with him from that point on. And the other thing, aside from the dance that happened to me in those years is I became like completely addicted to traveling. Mm. I, I lost all sense of like having a home and uh, having a place to uh, put my things down and I was happy with a couple of suitcases which were which were which were mostly like full of dance costumes so very few like <laughs> personal belongings um, and I just wanted to see the world and then the more I saw the world the more I wanted so mm-hmm. um, I would call it an addiction in a good way and uh, did that addiction uh helped you to find fulfillment and to get out of that uh, state of uh, uh, depression or dense disappointment, not in the dance, but in the career and like uh, things that was happening surrounding dance. Sure. And I think the dance depression was over the moment I landed in Egypt. I mean, <laughs> just to see it on the canal with her orchestra was just all I needed. Um, and all the inspiration that I needed. Um, and yeah, the traveling 
gave me a lot. I continue to travel. I mean, there is no ending to it. I now have a home, but um, I will always be a traveler. And the reason I sort of touched on the beginning of uh, all cause of all your adventures, this uh, uh, burnout and then depression, it just I kind of feel that it hits a lot of uh, full-time dancers, but uh, we don't really talk much about it. And I remember mm. then I was reading the beginning of your book and got to that point and you described uh, uh, that feeling. I was like, oh my God, it feels... So, so familiar, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. maybe not at the same like point or like scale, but, um, and it's funny, uh, funny, uh, to even acknowledge because two years ago, I would never thought I would even think about something like that, that of course, like busy lifestyle is a dream of every dancer, but once you get there, it doesn't really fulfill much. Mm. How do you think, looking back now on those years, um, was there anything else you could do to get through that state without going uh, and completely changing your, your life and uh, going to the Middle East? How do you think? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I had to get out. <laughs> not that New York is a bad place to dance, not at all. But sometimes you just have to get out from where you are and, and reset yourself. I mean, for someone that can just mean going on a vacation or going to um, learn something new, maybe um, doing something other than dancing for a while and then going back to it. I mean, those are all viable options. But I think for me at that point, I just, I had to look for the next thing, which for me was working in the Arab countries. Hmm. And at the same time, even once you start working in the Uh, Arab countries like it was not always like a dream there was honestly like every new chapter there was uh, so such a stories that I was like oh my god I did not expect that to happen and uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, disappointments in this business Mm -hmm. that you described but you still are saying now, that's interesting for me, like now to hear after reading the book that you still felt like you didn't feel that um, depression feeling about dance. It still kept you alive, even despite all those disappointments. Because at some point reading the book, I was like, oh my God, why, why would you keep doing it to yourself? Like going through <laughs> everything and seeing all this attitude to belly dancers and your relationship uh. is like, managers venue owners like audience like why you still will keep doing it so can you reflect a little bit on that (laughs) yeah it's the love for the dance right it never goes away like even no matter what kind of circumstances you're in you still want to dance you still want to be on the stage you still want to you know share that passion i mean there's just nothing like it and you'll go through a lot of shit to do it right I think any any professional dancer, any working dancer anywhere in the world can relate. Like you go through whatever you have to go through to keep doing what you want to do, which is dance. So you don't even think about quitting. I mean, there is no such thing. Like mm. what else is there besides dance, right? It's like, it's like, it's just your mindset. And yeah, it is funny. Like when you think about things afterwards, and especially when you write about things afterwards, and you kind of see those situations from a different angle from the outside and yeah you kind of go like holy shit like how did i stick it out (laughs) 
how did I just like soldier on for all those years? But at the time, you just do what you got to do. You just do the next thing. You just take the next step. You just keep going. And you don't even question it. And uh, not to sound all negative, I mean, I've, I've had a great time. But sometimes the negative things make for more interesting stories than the uh, smooth sailing things, right? Like mm-hmm. everything was great sometimes, yes. But um, yeah, a lot of interesting, interesting stuff for sure. <laughs> Which of those uh, stories was the most incredible for you looking back now like or during the uh, process of writing the book looking back at that story and thinking oh my god how how did i how did i ended up in that situation (laughs) off the top of my head yes Uh bringing the police to a club to to reclaim my money Mm -hmm. would have to be one of the kind of craziest situations Your your book definitely gives a lot of insights into all the traps that uh, dancers need to be uh, aware and ready about. But um, just out of your head, what would be like the top uh, few things that uh, all girls who are willing to go and dance uh, on a contract they need to be ready? For, like those kind of traps that they will need to look for and that you did not expect as a uh, foreign dancer in the beginning of your dance career? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of dishonest people out there. There's a lot of people out to get what, whatever they can from you. Um, just because people promise you things or say they're going to do something, pay you this much and, and give you this thing, and that doesn't mean they're going to. And things can really change quickly. Um, I mean, my experiences are not only mine. Like, they're of kind of everyone who works there. Like, we all have these kind of similar challenges and and struggles. So, like, things that have happened to people I know is, for example, you're in a contract. You got it from your agent. Everything is supposed to be completely legit and fine. Overnight, the club closes. They have to shut down. Who knows what happened? Maybe the police, something happened. And they just left the girl. They just left her. They didn't pay her. They disappeared. She was left alone in a foreign country, not knowing what to do. Uh, no ticket out of there. No, like, you know, nobody even bothered telling her, okay, you're not working anymore. They just completely left her to her own devices. Things like this. And uh, so... And often I find uh, dancers asking things like, how do I know this contract is legit? Mm-hmm. And you have to just go by reputable people. You have to ask yourself, is this reasonable? Is, is what this person offering, does it make sense? Why would they offer someone who they don't know a ton of money and a ton of things if, if they've never seen you, they've never... Um, they got you off the internet. You know what I mean? Like, you have to ask, who did you work with before? Like, what is, you have to find out what is the reputation of this person? Like, a lot of these things go word of mouth. Like, someone else must have known this person before you. You cannot be the first dancer they ever wanted to work with. That would be unlikely. 
Mm. But um, how to find out, like, uh, if uh, because now via social media, it's very easy for people to contact uh, uh, any dancer, and it's sort of legit. Oh, they saw the video, they really like my work, and maybe they really uh -huh. want me. So how to double check if those offers, like, they are really legit offers? Uh, right. Well, usually people try to hire locally, right? They don't want to pay for flights for for a girl if they don't have to. So, for example, I saw this kind of conversation on Facebook recently, like, oh, somebody from Dubai is offering to fly in uh, dancers from America. Mm -hmm. Why? Why would they do that when they can hire dancers in Dubai? So that smells like a scam right there. Something is not right. Or if it's a really far-flung country, like that wouldn't have their own pool of dancers, wouldn't they rather contact an agent and go through that? Like, and actually, at the end of the day, things can go wrong, even with legitimate people. So you always have to have your own way out of a situation. You have to have your own money. You have to have your own credit card, whatever it is, to, to so you can buy yourself a ticket out of there if you need to, mm. you know? Like, don't be in a situation where you have no money, you don't know what to do, uh, and, and you can't get out of there. In the end, we have to take care of ourselves. Yeah, definitely. And I do remember that story about uh, Dubai agent, because I was also contacted by him. Uh, and uh, it was so strange situation. I still can't understand what exactly was the scam because uh, I usually, whenever I'm contacted like that on social media, I just disregard it's like 99.9%. It's exactly. nothing serious. But that mm. guy really stood on my attention because he actually found and did the whole form for my website and it was very legit. He was asking two good conditions And uh, it was like good payment. He needed just for one time event. Uh, he presented mm. himself as a private agent, but he didn't. I was trying to ask, okay, do you work with actual agency? Uh, he didn't name anything. He just sent me the copy of his like ID, which was very strange. It's like, why would you send the government document like a photo <laughs> to me that doesn't tell me anything about yeah, you, really? You? <laughs> and uh, it was like, and he was offering. Uh, Payment in advance, paid ticket, paid accommodation, and paid visa. And I was like, okay, that's too good to be true. But like, I mean, who yeah. knows? It's Dubai. Maybe for them, like 3,000 for one event is not much, like whatever. And then I was like, okay, I will try my my way how I cut, cut off all the guys. Because usually those guys, they want to Skype with you. They want your photos. It's, it's for that, like usually. Mm -hmm. But he was yeah. very polite. He was very like, She didn't ask me for anything, even to Skype or my WhatsApp, like nothing. We were just literally emailing each other. And then I was like, okay, you need to talk about this to my manager, my husband. And usually like the mention of husband to manager or even assistant just cuts off those guys. But he did talk mm. to him. I was like, oh, okay, that's wow. too weird. Why? And then I discovered that... Uh, I was not the only one uh, contacted like that with, by that mm -hmm. guy. Uh, none of the contacts really uh, went through. Like I don't think any girls actually ended up doing that gig. But I still sure. can't understand what was happening. Like, why would anyone do anything like that? I think he just wanted to talk to girls. But I'm the, guessing. 
I don't know, he was keeping like for a few weeks back and forth and he was talking with my husband. Is like, that's very, very elaborate way <laughs> to, it is, to it hit is. on girls. I, <laughs> I agree. It's, it's odd, but I think he was just in it for the conversation. Mm. Or how would I know? But I would ask when something like this happens, mm-hmm. I would contact some dancers who work in that country and ask them, do, do you know this guy? Who is this guy? And if they never heard of him, then he's probably nobody to be hiring dancers. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I did. And uh, indeed, nobody heard of him. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> A private agent for VIP events. Great. Mm. No. <laughs> um, but on the contrary, for someone who doesn't have any connections to dancers who work in the Middle East, uh, mm-hmm. who is not in the Middle East, who, uh, well, I call foreign, but foreign dancers in terms like they are not in the Middle East. <laughs> I hope everyone understands right. what I mean by that. But uh, for some dancers who would like to, to try the luck, if, even after reading your book, <laughs> which I highly recommend if you're ever thinking about going and working in the Middle East, first read this book. It would be very helpful. But even after that, if they still want to try their luck and find their dream job on the context in the Middle East, how how the one can like even start looking for a good reputable contract or agent? Like where even to start? That's one probably of the mm. most common questions uh, to you receive. Okay, yeah, I mean that's it's it's a situation that's kind of hard to imagine because when you work for a long time, you're a professional. I mean, you have contacts usually. You would have some kind of uh, um, a network. Um, you can, I suppose, try Googling agents or even contact big hotels and ask, um, if they ever hire dancers and if so, who do they hire them through? And they would probably be able to point out some agents to you and then get in touch with those people. Um, but the other thing is like, I think a lot of dancers want the opportunity to come to them while they are sitting in the US or in Canada or in Europe, it doesn't always work that way. I mean, oftentimes, like with anything in life, you have to go to the opportunities. I got my first contract because I was available at a moment's notice and I was in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And I was able to just go to Bahrain immediately, almost. And if I was in the States, I mean, this would never have happened. Even if I had contacted this same agent and he would have had my photos and video, he wouldn't have thought of the girl in New York to fly into this place in Bahrain because he would have looked for somebody in the vicinity. Mm. So I think often dancers kind of want guarantees of something, like as opposed to taking a chance Mm -hmm. and, and, and just going for it. And in reality, it doesn't usually work that way. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's kind of uh, need to be brave enough to just go to another country without any specific uh, goal. It's one thing to go sure. as a tourist to visit, like, I don't know, for a mm-hmm. week, two, maybe a month. Uh, but another thing to go fly to those countries uh, to hunt for work. Um, yeah, absolutely true. <laughs> I mean, ask any dancer who's worked in Cairo, who's established themselves in Cairo. Did any of them have work set up for them when they went to Egypt? No. Most of the time they stay for months and months before they even find any leads for work. And then it takes 
more time to get papers and all that. So yeah, um, that's kind of the reality of it. Mm. And in terms of uh, papers, I know uh, most of the countries, uh, they have a uh, certain like work permits or visas and some countries specifically have a special documents for dancers. Uh, among all countries that you worked in, which country is uh, you would consider the most uh, strict and difficult to get us all uh, appropriate work permits? And which country you would never agree to work without the proper documents? Mm. Um, this is hard to answer because most of the time I was in no way responsible for getting these documents. So it's between the hotel or the restaurant hiring you and the government. So you, the dancer, don't really have to even worry about the papers. And yeah, there are many times when I knew or suspected that there is no proper paperwork in place, but it's not really my business as a dancer. It's again, the responsibility of the employer. Algeria was a tricky one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for Algeria, uh, there was no way for the hotel to get documents from me. I had to get them in my country of residence. So that was a big t- detour from, um, where was I? I? I believe I was in Tanzania and I flew to New York just to apply for a visa to go back to Africa. But that's what had to be done. Mm-hmm. But the hotel pay- paid for it, so no problem there. Um, I cannot say that I wouldn't consider working in any country, any specific country without the, the proper documents. I think it more, it, it comes down to what is the risk for you? Because in many places in the world, um, let's say a five-star hotel doesn't owe anybody any explanations. So they will not have a problem even if uh, they have people working without papers. So if that's the case, then um, why would I care about that? Mm, I see. Uh, I also remember you had a funny situation uh, with uh, entry visas. Uh, uh, I believe you were traveling to uh, Mali from Rome. Mm-hmm. Or was it another country that you traveled yeah. to? <laughs> yeah. 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 Would you mind sharing one uh, of the stories from your book? Because I think <laughs> that was quite representative of the mentality of people in different <laughs> countries regarding yes. visa. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So I had a contract in Mali through my Lebanese agents. And um, they told me from the hotel that I will not need a visa to enter Mali. Okay, I'm coming from Italy. And I'm checking in to my flights uh, in Rome. And the check-in lady tells me that you need a visa for Mali. I cannot check you in unless you present me a visa. And, uh, and back and forth we go, like, no, I don't need it. Yes, you do. My computer screen says you need a visa. Well, the hotel says I don't need a visa. Well, there was a discrepancy between how the world works <laughs> and how the European lady thinks the world works because, you know, it's a different situation. You would never enter a European country without a visa, right? But in Mali, it was easy. Uh, so what I did... I missed my flight. Um, I bought a flight um, to Tunis on the spot. And I flew to Tunis. And I stayed with my friend, a dancer who was working there. And I told, um, I contacted the hotel when I arrived in Tunis and said, I'm, I'm here. What do you want me to do now? 
And they bought me another ticket from Tunis to Mali, to Bamako. And um, I didn't have any trouble checking in because, you know, I was on the African continent and people were not as um, anal about these things and nobody asked me anything. And, and I arrived in Mali and I got in just fine. And the next day they took me to get the actual visa and everything was cool. Hmm. Yeah, that's quite a crazy. <laughs> uh, it was an interesting night and day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on uh, another topic, you quite often uh, mention um, restaurant and nightclub scene and audience in your book. And uh, uh, once in a while uh, on the scene comes uh, uh, hookers and the girls who work for a very specific profession in, uh, mm. in different countries. My yeah. question is, how close is dance and um, prostitution expectations in different countries. And was there any situations that uh, from you as an artist were expected more than just a performance? Expected by whom? Um, audience, you mean? Uh, I would say both audience and, uh, and uh, event uh, venue managers. I see. Audience can have misconceptions anywhere in the world. Um, even when you work in America, you sometimes encounter people who think a belly dancer is some kind of stripper. Um, so yeah, there can be people waving, waving a napkin and they have written their phone number on it and, uh, and these kind of things. Generally, you don't run into these kind of problems because for most people, it's clear that the girls sitting around the restaurant in skimpy outfits and, you know, being available to come to your table are the ones they should be talking to and not the performer on the stage who comes and dances and leaves. And uh, so usually that's not a problem. Um, I guess the biggest misconceptions would be in places like Egypt, where like the line between the two is sometimes murky. Um, India, of course, because it's the land of misconceptions and, and drama. <laughs> um, for the most part, I, I didn't have this kind of problem. I didn't experience this kind of um, wrong expectations from the from the people hiring me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, those other sort of expectations, not directly related to this, but uh, uh, I know in every country the tipping traditions were quite mm -hmm. different and expectations from dancers, like in some countries you were expected to um, sort of go around tables and uh, mm. uh, hang out with the customers to make them buy champagnes uh, and uh, uh, to basically make them spend money in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, how, how was that going in, in different countries? Mm. I wouldn't say hang out, but to kind of, um, encourage them mm -hmm. to give you tips or, um, buy champagne or whatever it was. Tunisia is a one of a kind, <laughs> one of a kind party destination, I would say. Um, and in North Africa, the laws about these things are much more lax than um, in the Middle East overall. So in a place like Abu Dhabi, you cannot 
on, I'm sorry, Dubai, you cannot step off the stage. In Abu Dhabi, you actually can step off the stage, but there is no contact between customers and dancer. Like, no, 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 you, you, you keep your distance. Um, in Egypt, there's sometimes the money throwing, um, money shower thing, depending on if you're in a kind of nightclub kind of place, this can happen. But again, it's, it's polite. Nobody's trying to put their hands on you. But in North Africa, they don't have laws about these things. So depending on where you work, um, it can be like kind of like anything goes. Yeah, that was quite an interesting read through geography of different places and these kind of things. Uh, and uh, you also had a quite an experience performing in uh, non-Arab countries like uh, India and uh, Thailand and other countries. Um, what was the most significant contrast between performing in Arab countries and in those regions? Um, I suppose the audience, because for Arab audiences, they understand the music, they understand the dance, even though if you're in, say, Morocco, it's not their native dance, you're still kind of a foreign thing, but at least they have a connection to the music. So they have a, a different way of seeing the performance because it's something that's familiar to them. Whereas in um, Thailand, where I'm living now, or, um, or even India, it's something like... Um, foreign and exotic. So it's not so much of a, I would say, a connection with the audience. It's more like they're just like looking at something entertaining and interesting, but they don't quite understand always what they're watching. So um, I think for any dancer, dancing to Arab audiences is, is in the end the most gratifying thing. But I guess uh, uh, the exotic would be considered not only the dance, uh, but um, even the look of the dancer. And mm -hmm. you had quite a few stories about how uh, your uh, blonde hair and uh, pale skin played uh, quite a significant roles in some situations. Uh, how do you feel how those features, um, how much... Uh, appearance of the dancer in her how she looks plays role in the development of her dance career i would say it's it's everything unfortunately mm. um if a singer is not attractive at least you can just listen to the singing and look away i mean putting it in very crass terms right but a dancer is it's a visual thing so any venue is going to be looking for the the young, the skinny but shapely, you know, skinny but big boobs, <laughs> mm. um, and whatever they consider the beauty norms in that culture. Yeah, that person is always going to be more likely to get the job rather than the person who has the most experience or who's the best dancer. I believe oftentimes the managers, in their defense, they're busy people. So I don't think they even have time to be watching dance videos. I think they take, they glance at some photos and, and pick one. Mm. And uh, do you feel that in Arab countries they uh, have any preferences to a specific look except body shape? I don't know, like uh, brunettes or specific uh, nationalities or anything like that? Sure. Um the Gulf and especially the UAE is um, very picky, super picky about 
what the dancer should look like down to an inch and uh, ratio of hips and waist and uh, <laughs> uh, those managers have seen a million dancers and their mothers so they have an opinion about everything your nail polish um, your eyebrow shape everything they are a little bit ridiculous uh, mm-hmm. sometimes other countries are not nearly as picky um, Egypt has a tradition of appreciating voluptuous women and, and, and different heights and, and all these different things, which I think is great. And North Africa as well. I think um, they don't have so much belly dance scene of a belly dance scene going on that they would be uh, comparing, you know, this girl to that girl and, and, oh, but you don't look like her. And they, in my, the way I felt in North Africa, I was always like, oh, okay, she looks like this. The next girl looks like that. It's okay, you know. Everybody has their own kind of beauty. So that was refreshing. Mm. Indians are, of course, crazy about white skin, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, because it's it's not really right. Because <laughs> it's very exclusive mm-hmm. and kind of silly. But yeah, if you're, if you're pale, you're beautiful in the eyes of um, the Indian public, the general public. Yeah, it's kind of sad to talk about all those uh, pickiness and craziness, uh, uh, but um, I kind of feel it's better to know in advance what what's expected and then try to deal with it and uh, just knowing sure. what what to what to what to be ready for and uh, sure. How does uh, your life uh, look like now? Because as I understood, uh, you're not working on a specific dance contracts now. Mm-hmm. So how does your dance activities look like now? <laughs> right. Um, actually, this year has been a little bit different. <laughs> I did my, I guess I should call it my last like contract contract in Morocco this year, um, uh, which was for one month. I was covering for a friend. And by the time the one month finished, um, I was 15 weeks pregnant. So it was just the right time to uh, say goodbyes and uh, before I started showing. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, um, dance has been on a break. Uh, I now have a newborn baby boy. Yeah, congratulations! <laughs> Thank you so much. So um, yeah, I live in uh, Thailand right now, uh, but that can change very um, possibly very soon. Uh, we don't exactly know where or when we might be relocating, but it, it looks likely. So we will see what the future brings. Mm, are you still planning to go back on the working on the contracts? I don't think at this point I should go and live in a hotel room for a month or three and uh, leave my family at home. Mm. <laughs> that would probably not be realistic, but... Um, Working like short term and uh, or doing a New Year's Eve party or an Eid party um, That can totally be done So let's see where where um, we settle down this year Looking back on all your uh, journey and if you can could uh, meet yourself uh, <laughs> young for the very in the very beginning of your uh, work in the Middle East and first contracts what would uh, you tell yourself oh my god <laughs> so many things right um, I would 
with all the wisdom I've acquired, <laughs> I guess I would tell my younger self to try not to worry so much, try not to stress so much, and um, everything gonna be okay, and uh, try to enjoy the moment, and uh, yeah, and, and remember that um, even even though at times I felt like my life is in the hands of this old Lebanese man who has kind of a chokehold of my life. You know, he decides my fate and if I'm in his favor, good things come and if I fall out of favor, uh, everything is gone and ruined. That even though at times it felt that way, that it's not true, that nobody has a hold of my life, that, you know, I will still have the power to, to bring good things to myself and find my own work and find my own way. and. Uh, it's, it's never going to be about someone else. I guess that's what I would mostly want to tell myself. Mm, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so wrapping up our conversation, can you tell our listeners please, where they can uh, find uh, your book or mm-hmm. where they can find more about your book and your dance, mm-hmm. uh, dance activities? <laughs> Amazon. So I think we will post the link. Mm-hmm. It's going. It's uh, an ebook and a physical book, so both are available. Um, and of course, there's a Facebook page and an Instagram. We'll also put those links out there. And the book is called uh, "Fire in the Belly." That's right. Uh, well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Zaina, for. Uh, chatting with us today and taking time of your busy mom schedule. (laughs) (laughs) But I always wrap up every episode with the same question uh, that comes back to the uh, essence and (laughs) the reason of everything uh, that we do in our dance careers. And the question is, um, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance so that you keep doing it for so many years day after day (laughs) Mm. the connection to the music i suppose the love for the music and how the movement makes you feel yeah nothing can replace it i mean there's nothing else like it guys Thank you so much for spending this time with us. And if you like this episode, it will mean a world to me if you take a few seconds and leave us a review on iTunes or share it with your friends. Also, you can always find more information about podcast as well as past episodes at yanadance.com slash podcast. As well as you can connect with me on social media by Yana Dance or Yana Komarnitska. I'm very active on Instagram as well as Facebook and share a lot of tips and inspiration for your daily ballet dance life. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe to podcasts so you never miss a future episode. And until next time, keep shimming.